Welcome to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. A very Merry Christmas to all our listeners around the world from here in the United States. I love this season. We have the turkey in the oven. I know it's not a complete American tradition, but it was big back in my native Ireland, as were plum puddings, mince pies, card games and mistletoe, and later the renvoys, and more games, and pints of beer, and toys, and of course, Midnight Mass. We went to our Midnight Mass here in New Jersey last night, lovely choir, just a beautiful ceremony. It's the season of giving and I have a very impressive guest coming up in a wee moment. He is a New Yorker and an American military fet with family roots in the Philippines. Lovely and warm people over there and he started this incredible organization, the Black Six Project. What is that about, you're asking? Well, more about that later, but suffice it to say, it puts the skills of New York-based military veterans and first responders to use aiding communities in need around the globe from India to Haiti never gives up and even here in the United States it does some amazing work. Show them your love and support this Christmas. Bless their hearts. Joseph Soletta is the CEO and founded this organization, the Black Six Project and the Black Six Coffee Trading Company with the support of his colleagues. Joe is my guest coming up. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. When we first did our first humanitarian mission, it was to this uh, indigenous tribe in the Philippines. And it sort of draws back from my childhood. I was born in the Philippines, but I came here when I was four years old. And where I was raised was a small fishing village in the Philippines. And since I was really small, I always remembered on the side of the road, there would be these like um, very dark, they're just wearing loincloth and like dirty hair, tribesmen like standing on the side of the road and that I always pictured that and I as I grew up I always thought like if there's anything um, I can do to help them if I ever make it that's where the people I would want to try to take care of first. We keep digging for the secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people. Joseph you're welcome to my show. Don, thank you for having me here. Uh, I'm a big fan. To listen to different episodes inspired <laughs> me to do more. <laughs> oh, I, got, I have to have you on more often. I do like those kind of compliments, but I'm <laughs> glad you are a fan. Tell us about your organization. You've been around a few years and you're doing some great humanitarian work. Explain to me how it all began. So uh, I've been now a paramedic in New York City since uh, I got out of the Marine Corps in 2006. Uh, around 2017, I was working with another fellow veteran. His name is David Guzman. He used to be a Navy corpsman. And we were both partners in the ambulance. We both spoke about our background. And then we also spoke about things we wanted to do in life or things we wished to do. And one of those things that we spoke about was doing humanitarian work or doing disaster relief work. As we spoke about, we spoke to other co-workers about that, and we saw that was a common thing. So we thought, why don't we take our 
skills as paramedics, EMTs, and combine it with our skills from the military where uh, we were very uh, good in mission planning uh, and carrying out those missions. So uh, we decided to make this nonprofit called the Black Six Project. And we named it after my platoon um, in the Marine Corps, because during my second deployment, I deployed to Iraq in 2004 to 2005. This was my second deployment, and it was a lot rougher than my first deployment. And but I was very thankful to be surrounded by a great group of Marines who was uh, very mission oriented, but also made sure we took care of each other. No matter no matter like what time of the day was, they they always the, the motto was leave nothing to chance. So you know we always made sure our planning was correct, our equipment was good, our in, uh, intel to where we were going was uh, uh, enough before we carried out a mission. And I think that's what got us through deployment uh, very well. And, and we did what we did pretty well. Wow. So team spirit and that kind of team spirit and your experience in the military, uh, you can deploy it now in your humanitarian efforts because you go to some very remote regions. Yeah. One of the things that we thought, you know, creating this organization was uh, there are like definitely bigger organizations out there. We thought, like, is there room for us in this kind of work? And um, me and David were always would always think about like the missions that we carried out, where we had to insert into uh, remote areas or had to get to those areas that were mostly inaccessible. So we thought we focused on locations that were more remote, where it took uh, a lot of thinking and planning uh, to get us there, because we knew those uh, locations were uh, less treated. In the humanitarian side, they're not, you know, they don't have the resources of getting to a hospital. Healthcare providers don't take, you know, put the energy into getting to them. And when the disaster strikes too, most of the time people look for effectiveness in where everyone's mostly gathered. But there's also the the outskirts where in the you know, they they didn't have access to begin with. Now you destroy the roads, you destroy their their trails, there's no way they're gonna get the help that they need. So that's where we decided to focus on. And I think our background in the military gave us this can-do attitude, uh, as well as the experience in how it is like to pack and bring everything on foot by helicopter or by boat. So so tell yes. us about some of those expeditions then, you know, how you made entry into those difficult to reach places. The most recent trip we've taken was to Haiti. Um, they had an earthquake that affected them in August. They were yeah, hit Haiti by 7.2. is so unfortunate. They, they've had so much tragedy. It, it's terrible. Yes. So, you know, when we think about uh, planning to go there, that's exactly one of our things, especially in the areas they were hit. It was mostly a, a more rural area. Um, we decided to partner up a nonprofit that was based out of Haiti who did their initial response and they told us about their mission and it perked up our ears because they were talking to us about hiking three to four miles up the mountain before they could reach some of these communities. And now, and I said, that's perfect. Their operations uh, manager at that time was a, a, a Marine veteran that I knew in from the coffee industry. And when he did his, uh, initial response there he said this is something joe and his organization would love to do so he reached out to me told them what they were doing and then we went there uh, a month later and did a follow-up care up in the mountains so we had to hike in and follow up the river and uh get to these communities that were still not reached 
since the earthquake uh, occurred in August. So th those are the things that we love because we knew we know that no other person would uh, even put the energy to to reach those communities and just to see their faces out there and see that uh, them saying that we just thought people forgot about us and we're just we showed up with all the equipment we needed. And I say, no, nah, we're we're here. We're we know you guys are here, and we we'd love to help you guys out. So that's a accomplishment that I can't like put a, put a title on, but that's the stuff we love to do. Is it dangerous? Um, and for you know, when you think of Haiti, we definitely weighed it out uh, the dangers of it. And even a week after uh, we left, that's when those missionaries, about fifteen missionaries, were kidnapped, and we knew about the dangers. And the good thing about being uh, in good connection with that other nonprofit was how they were going to gauge the danger. I was speaking with another Marine Corps veteran and I, I was asking what's the intel on this. He says, there's a certain part that we should definitely not um, cross. And it's all happening around Port-au-Prince. And that's more of the urban gang warfare. Once you pass there, a lot of the people in the rural parts of Haiti don't even know what gangs are. They're just trying to live their life on a farm. Yeah. And I've been to a lot of other countries and what it's like on a farmland. People are just trying to live. They're yeah. not like ready to, you talk about gangs, you're, you're talking about destroying their livelihood of just trying to get them to sell their vegetables. Yeah. So we came up with a plan where we would fly into Port-au-Prince, avoid those dangerous areas by taking a plane and flying over it and then landing in the more uh, rural area of the Kai, which was the epicenter of, or near the epicenter of, the earthquake and then from there it was just it was just like a lot of these other countries i've been to where a lot of farms people love talking about their livelihood and they're very welcoming never felt any danger while i was there how long did you spend we spent uh about a week over there um up in the mountains we were sleeping in hammocks like i said this, those are the things that we enjoy just kind of roughing it out but then it shows that we spend most of our money on the equipment we need to train the people and not on the luxuries of traveling over there. It's just if we embed ourselves with uh, the community, I feel like we understand the troubles that they face a little bit more and, I, and they'll trust us a lot more because they see that we're willing to be with them rather than like come from another separate base just to see them. So what kind of work exactly do you do on the ground, Joseph? So this one, we did a lot of medical work. Um for Haiti, we help uh, do a lot of wound care. A lot of people were hurt from falling debris. Even though it's a poor and rural area, a lot of their uh, houses were made out of concrete. So a lot of them were hurt as the structures collapsed on them. And then we also did a lot of um, more medical checkups. And we saw uh, a lot of things that a lot of impoverished communities will have, where um, they'll have like stomach infections, fevers, malnourishment. So that'll usually be your uh, follow up with antibiotic and um, and just like teaching them how to like properly clean uh, their water before uh, consuming it. So I, you have to transport a lot of equipment and supplies in. Yes, yes. Uh, so we rely for Haiti and for like uh, other countries we went to, like in the Philippines, we rely on the locals to provide um, transportation. So. We got a lot of donations of medical supplies and we flew them over there in, in large duffel bags and then we sorted them out for each individual day during the mission. So um, yeah, we, we're, we're, we have a great backpacking background. Yeah. And so when we pack everything, it's uh, fully packed and everything we need and we're, we're good at 
traveling with it. Do you have to get special permission and permits from the governments of any of these countries to enter in on your mission? Uh, yes, some of them. Um, we reach out to the local governments, like especially when we went to the Philippines to do humanitarian work. And one of the big things uh, about doing that is we need a lot of information on what's affecting their communities more. So on top of the permission, we also like to ask about uh, certain data, of like what's uh, affecting the region, what preventing them from uh, being healthy. Uh, from that, we kind of uh, decide on what equipment to bring. And then also uh, we talk to the local doctors, uh, nurses on what their challenges are. And we can hopefully uh, make up for by getting the equipment over here. So you bring a lot of expertise, it sounds like, uh, in terms of the services and work you do. So you have a, a wide variety of people on board in your group, it sounds like. Yes. Um, well, the good thing is uh, we're with the background of as EMS providers. Mm. We... We, especially during this time, past COVID, we've had great experience in treating people. And we're always, as an EMS provider, we're taking the care to the patient. So for us, it's uh, it just seems like what we have to bring is almost feel like what we have to bring in an ambulance, but yeah. now packed up in a bag. So the, a lot of the, our volunteers are quick to like think already what they need to uh get as far as supplies and now it's just a matter of like how far we're going to take it that's all and then it's a lot of improvising in the field which we do a lot in the streets of new york anyway we don't have the perfect equipment for the perfect uh emergency call so we improvise with supplies same thing in the in the remote communities they we find ways to make up for things that we don't have so how do you pick and choose where you go next do you just keep following the news uh, some disaster happened here or there or do groups reach out to you, ask you to come in? The, the, the initial one was when we first did our first humanitarian mission, it was to this uh, indigenous tribe in the Philippines. And it sort of draws back from my childhood. I was born in the Philippines, but I came here when I was four years old. And where I was raised was a small fishing village in the Philippines. And since I was really small, I always remembered on the side of the road, there would be these like... Um, very dark. They're just wearing loincloth and like dirty hair uh, tribesmen like standing on the side of the road. And that I always pictured that. And I, as I grew up, I always thought like, if there's anything um, I can do to help them, if I ever make it, that's where the people I would want to try to take care of first. Cause they had this sort of origin feeling I had to, from where I came from. Mm -hmm. So we set our sights on that to test ourselves in the humanitarian work. Plus we had a lot of resources already in that my family came from that village. So we had a place to say, we just needed a way to get up to the, to them and, you know, talk to them about like the care that we could provide and also get their trust. So that's how we kind of first targeted our first mission. So uh, we did a, that medical mission. We targeted three different tribes uh, around uh, that town. And then a week after we got back, Hurricane Maria hit. And, uh, you know, I figured we weren't ready for disaster relief yet. But since a lot of our EMS providers are Puerto Rican also, which is another benefit of being New York City based is if uh, anything occurs around the world, there's one person from that country that could tell you the details about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you do any domestic assignments? Uh, we are kindly, we're shortly trying to work on this uh, response for the tornadoes that hit Kentucky. 
Okay. That, um, yeah, another tragedy. Yeah, but this one, we're doing something that we did in Marsh Harbor, Bahamas. When Bahamas was hit by a hurricane, we went there to help uh, rebuild some of the houses. But around that time, we also bought Santa Claus with us and a lot of toys. So currently we're working on getting a lot of toys together here in York and hopefully making a convoy from here to Kentucky within a week and hopefully bring a little Christmas cheer to them. That's that's incredible. I feel like we could do, we can do for, for, for them. And it's, it's a tragedy that's happening during the holidays. So I hope this is something we can accomplish. So when does that convoy take off? We're hoping by by next tuesday uh reaching out to different contacts on people who would be willing to donate toys our santa claus is getting his uh uniform out of the dry cleaning and then we're trying to see where uh where we can focus on getting uh the the toys to whether in evacuation centers or i don't care if we have to go door to door or it's going to be or chimney to chimney we're going to make it happen (laughs) somehow over there (laughs) So, so you could be there for a few days yes definitely but yeah, uh, you know those guys have lost their home. So if we could spend yeah. as much as time we could there, we could, we will. It's sort of a, the great meaning of the whole holiday Christmas season, giving back, and you're certainly doing that in spades. It's very inspiring. You have four active members, fifteen volunteers, and you're growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, you're sort of based out of Brooklyn. Yes, yeah, so we're headquartered right now in Brooklyn, uh, near downtown Brooklyn. We have a, a, a space over there and do some of our studio work and planning over there right now. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. My guest is the hugely energetic and enterprising military veteran Joseph Saleta of the non-profit Black Six Project, which is out there doing eye-opening humanitarian relief work. Got a nice wee note from Joe this past week saying his group arrived in Kentucky in the past week to provide more relief in communities recently devastated by tornadoes keep these people in your prayers got here last night said joe we have santa and toy donations with us and are giving out these toys to children affected by the tornadoes yes he said we are trying to work on a response plan for the philippines by working with the philippine consulate in new york We are waiting to hear back from them to see what's needed to help the Philippines. And of course, the Philippines also had its own recent damage and devastation by the super typhoon that did so much terrible damage and resulted in the loss of a lot of lives. Keep all those people in your prayers. We are so lucky, all of those among us who are celebrating with family this Christmas and the holiday season. Enjoy it. God bless. Merry Christmas. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. 
the name of your group, the Black Six Project, has a history. Of course, that was the radio handle of the command element of headquarters platoon during your military days. So that stayed with you. Yes, yeah. You, you memorialized it. Yeah. You know, you meet a bunch of people that, you know, uh, bring so much to you or like had these great uh, gifts that they shared with you and kept you alive. If there's a way I could tell their story or at least inspire my path to keep going after we've separated as a military unit, mm-hmm. this is one way I'd like to do it. And you also have a fundraising arm, Black Six Coffee? Yes. Uh, that is our for-profit company that funds our nonprofit. And it was born from pretty much doing humanitarian work near coffee farms. And I figured, hey, if we're living near coffee farms and New York loves coffee, <laughs> Let's learn how to take some of the re- green coffee back and roast it and tell the story of where it came from. And hopefully we could come back and do more medical work like we normally do. Because nonprofits, is, it's a it's a tough way to find funding. But, you know, when people love coffee, there's a good way to, yeah. to keep it going. Mm-hmm. So are you going to open your own coffee shop? Yeah, we actually had a coffee shop. Uh, we opened in February 2019. Uh, unfortunately, the quarantine happened in for covid in new york city and we shut down in march so we were open only for a month and i went back full-time as a paramedic because the uh the city was just uh insane and how many emergency calls that were happening during covid so i thought let me stop making coffee let me uh go back to being a paramedic and then unfortunately uh in the middle of us being closed our our coffee shop was looted during some of those riots so we were just uh, decided hey let maybe it wasn't the right time to be open so we just focused on our uh, first responder work and then since we weren't deploying we were putting together PPE, we were assembling them. And then our different volunteers, since they would come off of shift, whether they're uh, EMTs or they were cops, they were driving to different hospitals, dropping them off where they were needed. I'm sure you needed plenty of coffee during those long days uh, of COVID and all the emergencies (laughs) and sirens going off in the city. Yes. uh, Our motto is actually, we're mission-driven, coffee-fueled. So... Uh, and I always say, I wish coffee, like coffee is one of those things that bring us together and sort of like help bring our inspiration even further. And we mm-hmm. talk over coffee a lot. So whether it's humanitarian work or just like what you want to do in career and life, we hope like what we do on the background of coffee inspires others to keep going after it. Your members have full-time jobs. You are very busy in your own job and you have, then you're doing all this humanitarian work. How do you find the time to do it? Yeah. And I have two sons uh i think when when i was going through paramedic school i always said i live by the calendar uh and i like i kind of stick to it so uh mm-hmm. that's the only way i could do it organized. it's all time management i it's all time management and sometimes things have to give so you have a good opportunity if you're organized to let people know hey can we move this schedule but i always try to keep at least one you know one day for the family and to keep my head adjusted, just to hang out with them and other and doing non-work stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, any memory stand out in your mind of the assignments you've made for your group? Uh, I think one of them was, uh, so there was this uh, village that was you know, occupied by this, the, the tribe called the Mangyan tribe. And it was a place we could not get by, uh, by car because the trail was damaged by a high tide and the only way we could get there was by boat so we had to circumvent 
the land and go around. Uh, it took an hour and a half by, uh, you know, the cultural style boat in the Philippines called the Banca. So there's like these two little outriggers that keep it supported. We took our team over there, made our way over there and set up a clinic in the, the school in the middle of the little village. And, you know, we were given antibiotics, taking care of little kids that had fever. But our media, like our video team was, would always like walk around and they found this one man who was in this hut and just like uh, very weak, debilitated. And his family was just saying, oh, he just hasn't been able to walk for the past month. So uh, they called us. We went up there to look at him. And I saw like he was really sick and he needed just more care than just antibiotic or mm -hmm. Tylenol. Like he needs to be seen in the hospital. So we had to figure out how we could get him to the hospital, which by then would have been a four hour journey to get him to the hospital. So I quickly thought of like, how are we going to get him to the hospital? So I remember something that I learned in boot camp was a make this improvised uh, stretcher. So I took a tarp that we had and I think by the grace of God, there was the, the most two perfectly straight bamboo sticks leaning up against his hut. And we sort of wrapped it where we made an improvised stretcher. We laid them on it. And I remember also telling uh, one of the villagers, get all the men together. We're going to have to carry this guy to the boat. And all the men from the village came. Like, I don't think we had a, a shortage of hands. And what I, what I thought was going to be like a 400 meter walk was just easy with this guy. He, with all the, the villagers willing to help. And on top of him being sick and on the way, it made an easy trip to the boat. We got him on the boat. We started IV on him, get him, got him hydrated. And then we had to take an hour and a half boat journey to the beach where a van was waiting for us. And then the van got stuck in the beach and we had to push it off the beach. And then from there, we were able to make the, the next three and a half hours uh, to the hospital, which he, he got care. And I remember taking his... And the hospital was in the nearest city, I guess. Yeah, it was. Uh, and I remember taking the wife with us and the wife was saying, oh, I don't know how we can afford him to get him back when he gets better. So I said, hey, don't worry, we'll, we'll take care of it. And then uh, I remember like asking the hospital, how much would it be to get him sent back? And they were like, it's like $8. Give you, if you like change the money, but like $8 <laughs> to them is a lot. So um, fortunately, the, the hospital was closer to my parents' house. So uh, we gave money to them and the hospitals to make sure they get back. But we also came back the next morning, bought them food because to them, food would have been like expensive too. That's another thing they were worried about. So to, to buy the food was like a dollar, mm. you know, and that's like the, the meal that they really want. But, you know, it just made me like uh, think about like what we accomplished as a team, help this bring this guy from one part of the island to another, and then yeah. uh, have the ability to like pay for his care afterwards, where to them, it's like a lot of money to us. We spend yeah. more than that on a cup of coffee. Yeah. And it just shows where the money can be used and can be stretched. Yes, exactly. So that's one of the biggest, uh, I guess, heartfelt things that I remember doing. And that was back resources. in your own uh, homeland in the Philippines. Yes, correct. Right in the same town that my parents grew up and I grew up as a little kid. Wow, that must make you feel great, and as in, in in a good way. That must uplift you and all of those around you, of course. Yeah, and then as we were going to do this mission, there was a way I was trying to research more on this tribe, and there wasn't so much about them on Google. So we decided to take a video team. But I did find a picture when I was a little kid, 
and it was me and my mom in this like little stream and then this uh, other woman in the stream and she had very curly hair and she was dark and I asked who this was and my mom said this is that's Monica she was your nanny oh. and I was like I thought I thought you I was like I thought we were broke I was like yes we were <laughs> broke but they were even more broke the tribes people and she and he and she said that uh, I was a very demanding boy. Like she, I would never like to get put back down. So everywhere I wanted to go, I had to be carried because I never wanted to walk. <laughs> and my sisters and my mom said that's probably why you're you have this thing to go back there. We they believe that she might have put a spell on me <laughs> so that if I grow up, I go back there and do something for the tribe. Okay. And I'm like that's pretty scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you came back to the village. You have four active members, fifteen volunteers. Are you um, new members coming on? Are you looking for more volunteers and active members? Yes, we're looking to grow. And there's one thing that I I learned in uh, from Haiti was like a lot of the volunteers. We'd like to uh, in the meantime do a lot more training. There's, if you're not a mil, you don't have a military background. This is a good opportunity for us to um, teach what we've learned in the military. Uh, if you don't have an EMS background, there's a great opportunity to uh, teach about first aid medical work uh, with us. So we, we're starting this program called the Weekend Warrior, where we'll do a lot of more outdoorsy uh, type of things. We'll go hiking. We'll do scenarios in disaster relief, uh, search and rescue. At the same time, we want, you know, we want to help people get out and also uh, like realize their potential whether when they're helping people. When, it, when we do these scenarios, I feel like uh, pe- people have more more motivation to mm-hmm. do hiking when they realize they're there to help someone. So we'll say, all right, this scenario, you're going to help evacuate like some other, some villager that's here and he needs to get over here. So a lot of our first responders, I think they have more of, the, of a hero mentality or service mentality where they're more likely to do uh, the activity if they know that it's going to benefit someone else. So that's how Ooh. we're focusing on. Are you looking for others besides first responders and people in the EMT and, and military backgrounds? Can, are you open up to other skill sets? Yes. I think um, if you're good in logistics, if you have, I always say a lot of the things that we do, just need, we just need a pair of hands. So just to move one supply here to another mm-hmm. is, a, is a great asset. And then also, if you're, you love travel, this is a great way to see the side of like countries that you never get to see at the same time helping people in that sense it's self-funded so so that people are clear about how you operate if they go on a mission with you do they pay for their own airfares and put up all their own costs yes if we don't have like the funding uh to do to cover most of it we do we we have to have them self-fund because uh you know but fundraising is pretty difficult for us most of it is coffee uh, funds that we've, we've transitioned for the nonprofit. So, so far, most of it's been that. Wow, you guys are great. You mentioned earlier, and just uh, want to backtrack to it a little, you mentioned about vehicles and heavy equipment and so on. Do you order it in the country you're going to? You don't ship anything out? No, we, we order it. And we usually do it like through local contacts. Yeah. And we you know we try to like, hire them and like feed back into the economy. And they tend to be more knowledgeable about the area. If we say we want to go here, they'll be like, this part does not exist on the map. Your map is wrong. You can't go that way. Yeah. You'll have to go this way. Logistics are good on that. 
Yeah, and help you on that. I'm sure as your organization keeps growing and your reputation spreads, there's going to be more demands on your time. You'll be getting calls from places which have had a disaster and probably becomes a challenge to know how to weigh one over the other. Yes. Uh, as we're moving, you know, throughout the, uh, the year and growing, you know, I'd like to definitely now uh, make this as more of a full-time work and then also sort of adapt this saying that we have in the Marine Corps called the force and readiness. So in order to weigh it out, one of the biggest things we weigh out, whether or not we're going to send the team or not, is are we ready to do the mission? You know, so I don't think we're ever always going to be ready, but we're going to do our best to be ready. And in order to do that, I think we need to constantly train throughout the months and get good at what we do before we can really say, all right, we can pick and choose where we're going to go. Because we're always going to be like, I don't think we're ready. Yeah. So, yeah. so throughout the next few months, our goal is to be uh be prepared. Well, you're going to have a busy Christmas, the new year. How does that look? Uh, I'm actually working on ambulance new year. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, how you can have coffee. Yeah, I, I do. And I usually <laughs> make a cup for myself and the rest of the crews well, uh, at the beginning of the day. And, well deserved. Yeah. And then we, we, we go out and do our thing. But yeah, that's, that's what the next few months are looking for us. You're set up as a nonprofit. Just give us all the uh, details on all of that. And how can people help you and make donations? Yeah, so we're set up as a IRS approved 501c3 public charity. Um, our website is black6project.org. That's black and then the number six. Uh, you can donate to that website. We have numerous projects going on, especially... Uh, we're looking to send PPE to India. We've got multiple donations during COVID. We're looking to send about a million dollars worth of PPE to India, but we just need to Did cover you say a million dollars worth? Yes. Like wow, two that's... shipping containers worth. Oh, my goodness. Good. I mean, what kind of numbers are we talking about so far? If you were to quantify all the work you've done so far, and that's often difficult because you go into remote islands and for $8, you can get transported from one side of the island to the next. And then in America, it costs maybe thousands upon thousands. But any sense overall of the number of projects, the effort you've put in, what does this come out as? It must be huge. It's funny because it's like, are we like stretching the dollar in the in the foreign sense or yeah. stretching the dollar in the local sense? and uh, I think being us all volunteer has really like spread uh, the work even further. Uh, I would say operationally, just to be as a nonprofit, I think just to sit in New York City, you're looking at about eight thousand just to sit and do nothing really. Yeah, to cover your costs in in a year. So with what we do, I'm I'm assuming we're, we're reaching around like a hundred thousand a year operationally in what we're doing yeah well it's great and it's and you're stretching a dollar and getting a lot of great work done but just quickly back to the india you're trying to mm. ship over a million dollars yes. worth yeah through uh different ppe donations we've accumulated about like a million dollars worth of ppe and their donations. On pallets. yeah and our goal was to is to send all this on a cargo in a cargo ship in two shipping containers to india which is facing one of the highest uh what has been facing for quite a while, their largest numbers in COVID-related diseases. Um, so we have that on our website, uh, and our website is black6project.org, or you can help fund us. If you're into coffee, love specialty coffee, we have different roasts from different countries, which we roast ourselves in Long Island City, Queens. 
uh, you could see our website at black6coffee.org. And most of our, about 60% of our profits go to our nonprofit. You go onto the website, look at all the contact information, and that's how they can reach you. Is there phone numbers or is it just better stick to the other details on the website? Yeah, there's uh, email addresses if you uh, uh, want to reach out about different things or if you want to volunteer, we have a volunteer form there. If you have questions about our coffee, definitely we have a, uh, there's an email form you could ask us about it. One of the most rare coffees we have there is coffee from the Philippines, uh, a special uh, species called Excelsa. We're one of the few that only uh, sell it in the U.S. So doing this kind of work has got us to the, that kind of access. Well, Joseph, I'm going to try some of that coffee uh, very soon. It sounds wonderful, and I'm sure it's very tasty, and it's going to go for a good cause. So that's that's a big motivation for me. A, it was great having you on my show. Good luck with everything, and I hope you grow, you thrive, and you get tons of support. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Keep up the good work, Joseph. John, thank you for having me, and you definitely keep up the good work and spreading the word. Mm-hmm.